That's not for you guys. It's for the people online. Um, so hello to the people online, if you're listening online. Um, so Romans 14. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. Uh, we are going to kind of wrap up Romans 14. We, we spent a little bit of time in this, like I said, a couple weeks ago. We had our bonfire last week, and so took a little bit of a break from this. Next week, we'll get into Romans 15. We'll spend probably two weeks there, and then maybe another couple of weeks in Romans 16. Uh, once that is done, once I can pretty well guarantee when Romans will be finishing, uh, we are going to do the next study after this on Sunday nights is going to be a study that was put out by uh, Answers in Genesis, which is the ministry that kind of uh, created or put together the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. Uh, they put out a resource called One Race, One Blood. And uh, an amazing study, a really, really interesting study. So we're going to start that on Sunday nights after the Romans study, which again, we'll let you know a, a better date when we get closer. But we started in Romans 14, really an interesting chapter in, in Romans, uh, dealing with this issue of the weak and the strong in the church. The believers that some were considered strong because they were able to live free in Christ. Others were considered weak because they had a lot of restrictions they would put around themselves. Not things that were asked of them by God, but things that were, they kind of created these things. Now, when people think that way, we tend to think, okay, so if you have any restrictions or any boundaries in your life, that you're weak. That's not really true. The problem is that those that had these boundaries started putting these boundaries on other people. Started saying, well, because I can't do this or that, you can't do this or that. And that's where the line was crossed, if you will. Um, I would also say that even the strong... It wasn't that they just did whatever under the sun they wanted to do. It was merely that they understood, I'm free in Christ to do these things. Whether I choose to do them or not is up to my Christian liberty. And so that's kind of a really quick summary of what we covered in the opening part there. Um, the first thing we see here in dealing with this issue of in the church, there's weak and there's strong. There's those that are of one mindset over another. Paul jumps right into it and he says basically the key is to receive one another, to receive one another. This means to take in, to take in addition, to take into your home or to take to oneself. So the idea here is to bring into fellowship, to come into communion with somebody who's of a different mindset than you. And he goes on to say, we don't do that to debate or argue with them. We do that to encourage one another in our common salvation. So we talked about that. Um, then we also talked about why we can receive each other. Um, we can receive one another in Christ because God has received them. We can receive one another in Christ because God sustains his own. And we can receive one another in Christ because Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, all those things obviously are broken down in your notes. Um, and we also talked about the fact that Jesus Christ is judge. And in all those things, the key we wanted to really kind of drive home was simply this. When a believer has an opinion about something they can or can't do that's not biblically defined. So in, in this passage, it's dealing with eating meat. And again, we made the assumption or we could make the assumption compared to Corinthians, what the Corinthian church was going through, it was meat sacrificed to idols. And the idea is that some Christians would say, you know what, I can't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols because that would be like me worshiping the idol. And other Christians were like, well, there's no such thing as an idol. It's not really real. So I can eat that meat. I'll be fine. And that was really kind of the division that Paul's addressing in the church. Now, to us, we might think that's not a big deal. What's the big deal about whether you do or don't eat the meat? Think of it in our own kind of context. We did this a few weeks ago. We started talking about this. That there's things in the church today that some Christians would say, you can and can't do this or you can and can't do that. Um, in some churches, something like going to the movies. 
might be one of those things where it's not biblically defined whether you can go to the movies or not. But some Christians would say, no, I'm free in Christ. I can choose to go to the movies. But while I'm at the movies, I'm going to use wisdom in what I put before my eyes, what I'm going to put before my ears, what I'm going to watch, what I'm going to pay for. I'm going to use wisdom in that. Other Christians would say, nope, you can't go to movies in any context. It's wrong. It's sinful. And you're wrong in doing it. So that would kind of be a modern-day comparison to what's going on in the church at Rome. And I love what Paul's first advice is. Basically, get beyond that and get to the commonality in Christ. Receive one another because ultimately, we're not going to judge one another, right? I mean, in eternity. I'm not going to stand before Christ and his throne, and then Jesus is on his throne, and God's there, and and say Lance is standing next to me, Jesus is not going to look at me and go, okay, John, what do you think? Should Lance, is he okay? Should he get in? I'm not going to judge anyone in eternity. And in fact, I'll be judged by Christ, right, for the things I did for him. So if I'm not going to be a judge in eternity, then Paul's point is we can't be a judge now. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, pastor. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to judge one another and our fruits? Yes, we can judge the fruits of another believer, but be very careful with that when we start using that as a grounds or a means to make ourselves appear better than another Christian. Because, well, I don't do this and they do. Or they do this and I don't. We have to be very careful there. Yes, the Bible does say that we can judge the fruit of a believer, but I would also encourage you this. What kind of fruit are you looking for? Are you with them 24-7 where you literally know everything they're doing all the time? Are you making a superficial judgment just at a distance? You don't really know them. You're just seeing them for an hour here or there, and you're making a judgment on them. Those are all things we have to take into consideration. And so in Paul's mind, he's saying, listen, the first thing we have to do is receive one another. We have to receive one another. Now, as I said last time, if we stopped right there, it would almost sound like Paul saying, it's fine. They can do whatever they want. The weak can be weak. The strong can be strong. Don't worry about the weak. Just let them be. That's not really what we're going to end with, though. I'm glad that Paul continues this on. So Romans chapter 14, look at verse 13. That's where we're going to start. So Romans chapter 14 and verse 13. So the key here in your notes, if you have a a handout, we are to edify one another. So we're to receive one another, but we're also to edify one another. This is a common theme for the Apostle Paul in his letters to the church This must be the motivation behind our service, prayers, and words to one another. I mean, let let that sink in for a second. Imagine what your life would look like and what your words would sound like if everything you did was motivated with the intent of to glorify God and build up other people. Like, just imagine for a minute what kind of things you would say to them. What kind of ways we would talk to people? How would we pray for other people if that was our goal and our motivation? And again, this doesn't mean we don't speak truth, but it definitely means we speak truth in love, right? We speak truth in love. And so here, let's see what Paul kind of recommends in Romans 14. So the first couple of verses is going to be 13 through 15. So Romans 14, verses 13 through 15. If I can get a volunteer to read, uh, we'll get a few verses here handed out. We'll do some reading. So does anyone want to read for us tonight to start us off? Oh, Lance, okay. Yes.
Okay, so there's, there's a phrase in there we've heard before, this idea of a stumbling block. Okay, a stumbling block. And what is a stumbling block? The word kind of defines it. Yeah, it's putting something in someone's way that will cause them to fall over it. So Paul is saying, hey, listen, instead of being judge to, to, to being judge, right, that, that relationship, I'm your judge and I'm judging you, he says it's more of a brother, brother, sister, sister relationship. It's more of a family relationship in the church. But he does say that we do need to make a judgment. And I love that he says this. Instead of worrying about judging the other person, where are we supposed to start judging? This way right? My heart, my mind, am I doing anything that's putting a stumbling block in someone else's way? It's, it's flipping it around where instead of going, yeah, but you're doing this or that. Okay. We're not talking about that first. We're talking about this way first. What is my motivation? What's my heart about? Am I putting something in someone's way that would cause them to stumble? Paul says that we can actually affect each other. We can affect each other. Uh, Paul says in how we interact with other believers, we can cause someone to stumble, to be grieved, or even destroyed. Would you see that language? That's, that's powerful language. To be grieved. And what do we think of grieved? What does grieved look like? Describe grieved for me. Somebody who's grieved over something. Heavy, sad, right? Heartbroken might be another way we would say that. To, we actually cause them grief over how we're interacting with them. We cause them to stumble. Now, this stumble doesn't mean to stumble in, in a certain way. It means actually to stumble into sin, right? To, to, we did something that actually led them into sin, even if it's a sin against their own conscience. And then ultimately to be destroyed. Now, this doesn't mean like loss of salvation or cast into hell or nothing like that. It means to come to a point of destruction where you're just kind of left without anything. You're kind of tore down. Uh, we carry a responsibility to be aware not perfect, okay, hear this now. We carry a responsibility to be aware, not perfect, not walk on eggshells, but aware that how I am treating other believers is either building them up or tearing them down. It's either building them up or tearing them down. And this is where there's, a, I've said this before too, there's a, there's a saying, people will say, well, you know what, I'm free in Christ, I don't care what other people think. I'm free in Christ, I don't care what other people think, it doesn't matter to me what they think. I get why Christians say that. They're saying, I'm not going to live under this person's expectation of me to be this or that. I, I get that. I'm free in Christ. But we should be actually concerned and aware of what other people are thinking of us. I mean, that's what a testimony is, right? What's a testimony? What people think about you in your walk with Christ. Now, could people who don't know you well enough develop off of one bad experience with you, the wrong idea of who you are? Of course they can. Uh, we don't walk on eggshells. We don't try to please everyone. We just live for Christ. And then we allow others to see that in us. But we carry a responsibility that how we interact with other people will affect them, but it also will affect how they see the church, how they see Jesus Christ, Right? I mean, you know this to be true. You've had people that you've tried to share Christ with that, that had a bad experience with somebody that was a Christian. And they'll tell you, well, no, I know what Christians are like and I don't want anything to do with that. Nope, I don't really want to go to church because I was at a church and they did this to me and I don't want to deal with that because that's, we take one or two bad experiences with a church and we blame all of church, right? We don't really do this with other things though, do we? Um, if you go to a restaurant that's a chain, say like an Applebee's ever again, because I had one bad experience at one Applebee's. 
Now, some of you may think Applebee's is gross and you wouldn't go anyway. I don't know. I'm just saying as an example. Okay. Um, the, how about Taco Bell? If you like Taco Bell, there's, there's a couple Taco Bells around. One in Emily City, I've never had my order wrong. It's always been right. The one in Lapeer, I don't know that I've ever had a right order. It's almost always wrong. But because of a bad experience, I don't go, I'm done with Taco Bell forever. Now, it's probably a good idea to be done with Taco Bell forever just in general. But, right, because of what it does to you, which is not good things, okay? But when you think about this, we do this with church. Now, is that fair that somebody had one bad experience with one Christian who maybe had a bad day and they go, I'm done with Jesus forever because of this one bad experience? Is that really fair to the Christians? Is that fair to church? No, but it's what our culture is about. It's what we see around us. And so again, it's not that we live afraid of, I better say the right thing or do the right thing. It's we do the best we can to live in a way understanding that my words, my actions reflect on more than even just me. It reflects on the bigger picture. So what motivates me to live that way, to live the way Paul says, to be so careful not to put a stumbling block in front of a a brother or sister. By the way, in this example, he actually says, if your brother or sister doesn't eat meat and you invite them over for dinner, you don't plop a burger in front of them. That's kind of what they're saying, what Paul's saying. Now, there's nothing wrong with eating meat. Paul expresses that. It's fine. It's good. But if your brother or sister has an issue with it, I can restrain myself, my freedoms, my liberty to be a blessing to this brother or sister. Now, we'll talk about it in a little bit here. We can also come alongside and encourage them with truth, help them to understand that it's not a sin to do this. But until they get there, is it really a big deal if we restrain ourselves for a season if it's going to help our brothers and sisters? Right? So here when you think about this, what motivates us to live that way? This 13 through 15 kind of lifestyle. What, what's my motivation for that as a follower of Christ? Could be more than one answer. I jotted down one key answer in your notes, but what motivates us to live that way? Renee. Okay. Absolutely. Anyone else? What motivates me to live that way to go, man, I need to be aware of what I'm doing and how it's affecting other believers. Who will I give an account to for this life when I leave this life? I will stand before Christ. And I believe my motivation for treating other believers this way and living this way is ultimately because I'm going to stand before him and give an account. And I want to be pleasing to him in all things. The secondary blessing with that could also be then I'm being a blessing to the believers, to the other Christians that I'm talking to and living around so that they will be edified. Again, remember, this is our motivation to please God and to lift up another believer, to edify them. Okay. So we can affect each other. Uh, We also see here in verses 16 through 18, uh, we must have the right mindset about these things. We must have the right mindset about these things. So verses 16 through 18, if I get another volunteer to read just a couple of verses. Do you really want to read, bud? Oh, he's always doing that to me every week. He's the hand raiser, but then he's like, no. Sandra? Awesome. Okay. 
Okay, so we have to have the right mindset. What's Paul bringing us to? He makes a statement that must have hit really hard to the weak brothers in the church. If you've been of the mindset that eating meat is wrong, it's sinful, it's wrong, we can't do it. And then Paul makes the statement he just made. That hits really hard. What did Paul basically just say? Yeah, it's not about what you put in your mouth or what goes in your belly. It's about these things. Your salvation, your relationship with God, God's kingdom is not about those things. That's not the foundation of those things. So this is a good summary also, if you're curious, of uh, chapter 5 of the book of Romans. We studied all of this, but it's a good summary verse for chapter 5 of the book of Romans. This idea that it's not this abiding by this dietary law and checking the box and doing this. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. To the weak, they are thinking that by abstaining, they are the more mature ones. Now to hear, it's not all that important. It's kind of a crazy thought, right? Think about that. It, it, they think all along, man, we're the mature ones. We're the strong ones. We're the ones that are really doing it. And Paul says, it's not about that, guys. It's about something more than that. Now, again, let's remind ourselves. Until that weak brother or sister gets to that understanding of that, we have to be careful how we interact with them. But again, Paul's just saying it's pretty matter of fact. Uh, we have as Christians a propensity to major on the minors, which was one of the key issues with the Pharisees in Jesus' day. I want you to listen to what uh, Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he says this. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. That's Paul speaking, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. It's the same idea. So again, that's why you can see in the early church, this was apparently an issue. And again, for review, why would it be such an issue? Because you've got all these pagans, all these unbelievers and heathens that have grown up in these different religions. They're coming to knowledge of Christ. So they're coming into the church. You've got Jewish people who have been saved and now they're coming into the church and they're coming in with all their law and their rules and their holy days. And these pagans are like, well, what's the big deal? Why can't we do this? And why can't we do this? And why are you doing that? And this dynamic was going through the early church. And so Paul's trying to lay a foundation that it's not about these things. I mean, think about Jesus in, in Jesus's day. The Pharisees always made it about the law and the traditions of men and the do this and don't do that. Why don't your disciples do this? And why don't you do that? And Paul's just reminding them it's not about those things. So. Uh, how do we edify, edify one another? We do it by remembering we can affect each other. We have the right mindset about these things, that that's not the important part. And then ultimately, we must provoke each other to grow. Verses 19 through 21. Uh, another volunteer, want to read? 19 through 21. I can read if no one's wanting to. Renee, awesome. No, you're fine. Romans 14, uh, 19 through 21. Okay. So again, Paul's kind of saying, listen, here's the point. You can do these things, but if it causes them to stumble, it's, stumble, it's better to not do these things. 
Now, it almost sounds like, well, wait, Paul's saying two different things. He's not really. He's saying, listen, you can have the conscience that's clear that says I can do these things, but you're merely aware of who you're around and how it's going to affect them, and then you make the decision to do what's best for them. That's really kind of the key. His point is don't focus on those surface things, but rather on our own walk with the Lord that we may make for peace and edify one another. Both the weak and the strong need to grow. The strong need to grow in love and the weak need to grow in knowledge. Praise God that his grace is for both. Why would the strong need to grow in love? Those who aren't living under these crazy restrictions that do believe they're free in Christ, that they're not trying to work or earn their salvation or keep God happy. They're just enjoying the relationship with God. Why do they need to grow in love? What do you think? Why would the strong need to grow in love? Think about church. Think about Christians and just people in general. If I think I'm the strong ones and you're the weak ones, what might I do that I think is fine but actually might do damage or cause hurt or harm? I might judge. I might use harsh words. I might criticize and critique or even call names or insults. So if you have love and you're speaking truth in love, it's going to be received a completely different way. And the weak need to grow in knowledge simply because why? These in Romans 14, why do they need to grow in knowledge? Yeah, to know that, okay, my salvation is more than this. I need to understand that, that it's about this relationship, not keeping these rules. Yes. Yes, that truth brings freedom, absolutely. And that's the key is that when we think about this, we need to make sure we're encouraging people with truth in love. Like I've said before, truth without love is legalism, right? Love without truth is this idea of hyper grace or just do whatever you want. And God's cool with whatever you do. But in the balance, what Jesus taught was grace and truth. We need both to be able to live this life for Christ. Uh, Last couple of verses, uh, verses 22 through 23. I'll just go ahead and read them real quick, unless there's a volunteer. Okay. I didn't even make Greg or Zach read this week. Um, so verses 22 and 23 says, Has thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. And he that doubteth is damned, if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, This passage of scripture actually goes a little bit more into 15. The thought carries into chapter 15. But I want to kind of open this up because I want to understand what we're talking about here. There are certain truths that all Christians must accept. Truths spelled out in scripture, right? Keeping scripture in its context. However, when it comes to a matter of personal liberty or conviction, we must realize that we can live in that conviction privately without forcing it on someone else. It's kind of what Paul is getting at here. One author said it this way. No Christian can borrow another Christian's convictions and be honest in his Christian life. No Christian can borrow another Christian's convictions and be honest in his Christian life. The key in all of this is a balance of knowledge and love. Conscience is strengthened by knowledge, but knowledge must be balanced by love. Otherwise, it tears down instead of building up. And so we don't force our opinions on others as though it's doctrine. We don't say you have to do this when the Bible does not say that. We need to give attention to our conscience in Christ. However, note that the word of God is greater than our conscience. It is the word that can correct our conscience. Isn't that what Paul says? 
If you realize this is wrong, you think this is wrong, then grow in truth in this. Someone's conscience may say, don't eat that. And if they go against it, may lead to a downward trend in their moral life. But with careful discipleship in the word, that person's conscience can be corrected and they can be set free. This is the beauty of what we call sanctification, where God actually grows us. Where I used to think this was wrong, I couldn't do this. And then by the word of God being taught to me consistently, I realized, oh wait, I am free from this or that, that I was binding myself with before. This theme or thought to Romans 14 carries over to Romans chapter 15, really to verse 7. Uh, which we will address, obviously, in the next outline. So in conclusion, as we kind of wrap up chapter 14, we can and do hold matter, many matters of personal convictions, which is totally fine. We must be careful, however, not to hold the foundational truths of Scripture with the same weight as personal convictions, especially if it excuses sin or apathy in Christ. For example, sharing my faith is not a personal conviction, but how I share my faith may involve personal opinions on the how of sharing. Does that make sense? There's some things in Scripture I cannot say to God, God, I didn't do that because it wasn't my conviction to. It's all of our convictions as followers of Christ, or should be, to lead people to Christ, to share our faith. But how I share my faith may very much depend on my own personal convictions about how I feel is the best way to do that. And so we have to understand the Christian life It'd be, it'd be easier in some regard if everything was just spelled out for us. If everything was just told to us. Okay, get up, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, go to bed, you're fine. Like many Christians would go, thank you for that order. I need that in my life. But that's not biblical Christianity. There's a lot of things that are spelled out. But there's a lot of areas where God just invites us to grow in his word. And by the working of the Holy Spirit, we are enlightened to these truths. And then we apply those things to our lives by grace and we live them out. That's why I've always said that critical thinking is one of the strongest needs in the church today. To critically think through scripture and not just take a canned answer or just accept this canned answer. But to know, I mean, what does the Bible really say about that? But what, why do you think so many Christians are afraid of that? of that kind of Christianity, critically thinking through a passage, really praying through, working through a passage, and then seeing and applying it to our lives and then living that out. Why do you think some Christians might be afraid of that kind of Christianity? Zach? Okay, how, how so? Great. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. If I'm studying through this and I read a verse, I've read some verses that I'm like, I, I don't like that, Jesus. I wish you didn't say that. Okay. When I read that, I can be convicted. And then if I don't want to make a change, I'm going to reject spending time in God's word that way. Sandra? Okay. It might cause us to have to take a stand with God and God's truth and not with the cultural norm or what the world's saying. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? Renee? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It takes time and work, right? I, to study God's word. Now, we can understand God's word simply, right? There's some very simple truths, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Simple. We get that. We can understand that. But when we talk about the everyday Christian living, it takes time of consuming God's word, studying God's word, right? Having conversations with other believers, 
okay? Growing in that way, and that's how we'll find ourselves growing in that Christian faith. Any other thoughts on that? Why, why some Christians might be afraid of kind of what I would call like a critical thinking Christianity instead of a spoon-fed maybe Christianity? Definitely work involved. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> so many Christians will say, well, I just don't get the Bible. I just don't understand. I'm not smart enough to understand that. Um, I've shared it before. I had somebody tell me, well, they really wanted to go to Bible college. And I was like, that's awesome. And then they said, well, I don't think I'm smart enough to go to Bible college. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know enough about the Bible to go to Bible college. That's the whole point of going to Bible college is to learn more about God's word. Like, but we have this mindset. I don't share my faith because I'm not smart enough. What if somebody asks me a question I don't know the answer to? We always start kind of psyching ourselves out before we even get there. But the beauty is we can all study God's word. We can all enough. But note the wonderful invitation. It's not get smarter, it's grow with me. One's an invitation and one is more like this ultimatum that we feel pressure to perform. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think honestly, one of the things that every Christian should do outside of the core doctrines of the word of God. So the things we know for sure, scripture spells out black and white. We study those things. We believe those things. We know those things. There's a lot of things that people have opinions on in the, in the church or in the Bible that is varying opinions. So whether it's end times, whether it's certain aspects of this or that uh, doctrine, what we have to be willing to say is, okay, I know this is dogma. I know this is what the Bible says. I believe this because it's referred over and over again to it's, it's clear. These other areas, I have, a, I have educated guesses. I think I know what I believe about these things. But we have to go into those areas with an open mind to say, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know everything about this or that. Maybe I need to listen to other people. And I think that's really hard for people as a whole, but I think it's really hard for Christians too, because we're afraid if I'm not right on this one, maybe I'm not right on this one, right? If I got this wrong, maybe I'm not right over here. And it's not necessarily a right and wrong thing. It's a wisdom thing. And I'm telling you that that one of the freeing things that you can admit to is that you don't know everything and that you're willing to listen and to grow. And when you do that, you will grow as a byproduct of that. It's a guarantee, okay? Um, any other thoughts, comments, or questions about Romans 14, what we've covered so far? I think Paul, the way he addresses this conflict in the church is, is brilliant. Obviously, it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I love that he starts by, let's receive each other. Let's make this about commonality in Christ. And then he goes to, a lot of the chapter is dealing with, encouraging other believers to grow and to take steps away from their conscience and to ask themselves a question. Am I forcing this on other people when really it's more for me and the Lord to kind of work through? So any thoughts, comments, or questions about anything we've covered tonight or anything in Romans 14? All right, we are coming to the end. Like I said, two more chapters. Um, And really chapter 16 is a lot of just kind of giving of who wrote what and fellowship or people that fellowship with Paul. Um, and so that won't take very long, uh, but I'm so excited to keep going through this with you. I pray it's been a blessing to you. If you've missed any of the weeks, please let me know. We'll give you the outlines. Can make sure you have that already available for you. Let's do this. We'll close in prayer and we'll ask God to go with us through the rest of this week. Did you have a question, Evan? I like the Bible too. That's a great point. And on that, let's pray. Okay, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Lord, we do thank you that while it's tough sometimes to know when it comes to this idea of critically thinking through how we live and how we encourage and support other believers, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd open our hearts and minds to your word. I pray that we would know that, yes, there are clear things we must stand on in Scripture. There are clear commands, things that are obvious to Scripture that we must, or obvious to us from Scripture that we must hold to. Uh, as was already said, Lord, maybe even making some changes in our own uh, views and opinions on things and standing with you, even though it may mean not standing with the world and not standing in a, in a place with the culture where we're seen as okay. It might even invite some level of persecution or conflict into our lives, but I pray we would accept that willingly if we truly believe that we're standing on your word. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we live our Christian lives this week, that we would think through the scriptures, think through the things that you're calling us to, that we would be humble enough to admit that we don't know everything, but hungry enough to desire to grow in you and to know more that we may grow so that your glory is on display in our lives. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their Lord and personal Savior, that they would come to know you before they leave this building tonight, that they would receive the salvation that you're offering freely, that they would cry out to you, ask you to forgive them of their sins, believing that you died on the cross, were buried, and rose again, that they might be saved. I pray, Father, that they would make that decision tonight to receive you. But Father, again, as we live in, in this world today, as we go out into our daily lives, I pray that we would look at brothers and sisters around us in Christ, and our first thought would not be what they can do for us, but it would be what we can do for them. How can we minister to them? How can we encourage them and lift them up by speaking truth in love to edify them? Lord, it may mean we restrain ourselves. We don't maybe do everything we would normally do. Maybe we just take that in consideration. But ultimately, Lord, if it's for their blessing, it brings us joy and peace. Father, thank you for all of this. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.